All right, so probably every single one of you in this room, at some point in time in your life, you have thought one way about something, and your mind had to be changed about it. Um, when Brett Favre became a Viking, I had to change my mind about the guy. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I always liked him, never have liked Aaron Rodgers. I don't know why, okay? Um, but the thing that comes to my mind is sushi. Sushi is something when I was growing up, the thought of eating raw fish, yeah, that's the reaction I had too. It just doesn't sound good. The only thing about sushi I thought looked cool was I would watch Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls, and he would go in like, he's in Alaska, and he would just grab into a cold river and pull out a salmon and just bite into it. Like, that's manly. Like, that's the sushi I want to eat. But I, I just never wanted to eat sushi. And so my family, uh, Crystal, I mean, this is probably about 15 years ago even, uh, just hadn't been married very long, and we went out to dinner with our extended family. And my sister Nikki and her husband Josh, they got sushi that night. And they're like, hey, Kellen, why don't you try it? I'm like, no, that's stupid. Um, and they, they kept, no, just try it, try it. So I'm like, all right, I'll try it. And I'm not going to lie, I put it in my mouth, and it was instant gag reflex. Just the most awful thing that I've ever tried in my entire life. I spit I, I actually think I went to the bathroom and like washed my mouth out. Not with soap, because that'd be weird. Um, I just couldn't stand it. And so at this point, I've, I've tried it. I've, in my brain, I, sushi is not good. And I've tried it now. It's not good. I'm like, I'm never having sushi again. So a couple years later, I go to Spain on a mission trip with my, one of my best friends, Ben. And he's like, hey, Kellen, you got to try this sushi. I'm like, no, I don't. That's, this stuff is awful. I'm not going to do it. And he's like, you, you, you got to try stuff on a mission trip that you don't like. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I suppose. So I did the right thing. And so I tried this sushi. And I'm expecting full-out gag reflex to come. And I'm telling you, it was a totally different experience. It's like the heavens opened up. And the angels started singing, and it was a beautiful moment in my life. I never realized sushi could be so good. And so I've had it since then, and I still like it. And so I don't know, I don't know if it was my mindset beforehand, the first time that I tried it, that I wasn't going to like it. I don't know if my taste buds needed some years to mature. I don't, I don't know. But I realized that, man, it was worthwhile changing my mind on it, because stuff is pretty good. And I think that in all truthfulness... Sometimes this is, the, the way that I think about sushi in my life is the way that sometimes we think about the cross. We don't see the cross for what it actually is, I don't think. And I think that there's even people, people who have been Christians for a long time, been in, grown up in, in Christian homes and, and have gone to Christian churches who preach the gospel. And still it's like there's something missing that we don't see what the real beauty about the, the cross actually is. One of the things um, that I think that we sometimes think of it as is we look at Jesus on the cross and we think, I need to be like that. I need to sacrifice myself. I need to go through, as a Christian, I should, I should experience pain for God. And that, I'm telling you, there could be nothing further from the truth of what the cross is supposed to represent for us. And so today we're, we're taking a look at, an, we're continuing this series, Game Changers. And we've looked at a lot of things of different things that we can do that it can become a game changer in our faith. We've, talk, we've talked about worship, talked about generosity, we've talked about uh, serving, we've talked about prayer, and all these things are, are incredibly good things that you and I can do 
that can become game changers in our faith. But the thing we're talking about this morning, it really is more a thing that has been done for us. It's not, what we're, it's not anything we can do, but it's, it's a game changer and something that's been done for us that if we can just believe it and understand the, the vast awesomeness of it, I think it can be a game changer for us. So what is it about the cross that can become so trans- transformational for our lives? How can that one moment throughout all of history, how can that one moment be the pivotal moment for each of us and where our faith is at? Now, when I was young, I, I think I made a mistake in the way that I would read the Bible or the way that I would hear the Bible or even the way that the Bible would be taught to me. Take the, the story of David and Goliath, for example. Uh, this little short guy, yes, kills the giant, yes. Like, that's enough right there for me to be like, I love that story. But I see the lesson in there growing up is, man, if I believe God in God enough and I, I go after God enough, I can, I can slay all the giants in my life. Is that the lesson? I think there's a better lesson. And later on in my life, I've started to see that who I was in that story is actually, I'm the scared, cowardly army up on the hill. And David is the example of Jesus, a foreshadowing of Jesus, the Savior that comes in the world and defeats the enemy that you and I are incapable of defeating. Okay, that's the, that's the real lesson there. Take the story of Jonah. And in Jonah, we've got this guy who, he, he's told by God to go and to tell a bunch of people that he cannot stand, hey, you need to tell them they got to go back to God. And Jonah doesn't want to do it, and so he runs from God. And he winds up going into the belly of a fish for three days. And so the lesson in the story is, do what God asks you to do, or you're going to have really bad consequences. Right? Well, no. There's a, there's a better story there. There's a better story that even though you and I constantly run from God, there's a Savior that's going to come into the world. He's going to be be killed, and he's going to be buried for three days. And when he comes out, he's going to go and give hope and life and freedom to a world that doesn't deserve it. That's what the story of Jonah is really about. That's the better version of the story. But we don't always see it that way. God is pointing us to something all throughout history that's better than what we even expected it to be. I think the Bible is full of really good lessons, but I actually think that the Bible is way more than just a book of lessons. It's all pointing, every single part part of the Bible, it is pointing to one event, and that event is the cross of Jesus Christ. I think there's a lot of reasons why the cross is a game changer for our faith, but I think maybe one of the most important reasons this morning, I'm going to tell you this, the cross is what all of Scripture points to. If the cross is what all of Scripture and all of human history points to, then there is something about it that is life-changing. And if we go back into the, the story of Exodus chapter 12, God is doing some really cool things through one of his servants when we get to Exodus chapter 12. One of his guys is a guy named Moses. And Moses was born as an Israelite. He was born into the land of Egypt. The Israelites were in slavery for lots of years, almost 400 years at this point. They were in slavery in the land of Egypt. But they had become extremely populous. And so the Egyptians, they're like, we got to get rid of these Israel. We got to tame down their population. So let's kill all the the sons, two years old and younger. And so Moses' mom puts him in a basket, sends him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, ends up raising him in the palace. 
So fast forward about 40 years, and Moses, he sees one of his Israelite, fellow Israelite people who's a slave, being beaten by one of the Egyptians. And he goes down, and he ends up killing that Egyptian. And so now he's terrified. And so he runs out into the wilderness for about 40 years. And about 80 years old, God tells Moses, you need to go back to Egypt. You need to set your people free from Pharaoh. And so that's what happens. He goes back, and Moses, he goes through, there's all these plagues, these awful, awful plagues that are going on throughout the country. And nine of them happened, and Pharaoh never let the people go. And Moses is like, just let the people go, nothing else is going to happen. So finally, one more time, Moses comes to Pharaoh. God commands Moses to tell all the Israelite families, you need to take a one-year-old goat or sheep that's without any defect, and you need to slaughter that goat or that sheep. And when, once you've slaughtered it, take the blood from that goat or that sheep and put the blood on the, on the doorposts of your, of your frame, the, the doorframe of your house, on the side posts, on the top posts, and spread that blood all around the, the doorframe. And then this is what he says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of, of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The, bl the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so that night, an awful plague hits the land of Egypt. Every single firstborn son of all the Egyptians dies that night. But none of the firstborn sons of the Israelites die because that blood is on their doorframes. The blood is a sign that they are God's people. The blood was a sign that a sacrifice of something that was perfect, that was without defect, had already been, that, that life had been taken. No more sacrifice was necessary for the people in that household. Now when I tell you this story in that way, can there be a story in the Old Testament that better personifies the story of the cross than that story. That is the story of the cross. But see, what happens is, as man, we're people that we just, we tend to look away from the signs that God is trying to point to us, point us to. Jesus' disciples, Jesus literally told them time and time again, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they didn't get it. They didn't figure it out. And we're a lot like that. I don't know about anybody else, but who else, when you were reading the story about the ten plagues, or you're hearing that story when you were younger, who else thought, man, that God is evil? Like, that is an evil thing that God, why would God go through this entire nation and kill every firstborn son? Seems like an evil thing. And the truth is, so much in the Old Testament seems cruel if you don't see it through the eyes of the cross. If you don't have the cross in view. And I think there's a ton of people, even people, even people who love Jesus and have been in church for all their lives, sometimes still have this thing where we look at God, the God of the Old Testament, and we see an evil, mean God, and we look at the God of the New Testament and say, well, there's that gracious, loving God. But I want to tell you, I, I just don't think that that is how it is. I don't think we have two different gods. And I want to try to, I want to, try to show you that a little bit here, and I'm just going to tell you, it's going to come back to the cross. One of the hidden secrets that we have as parents, um, we sometimes like to let bad things happen to our kids to show them what not to do or to help them to be better in the future. And it starts at a young age. I mean, think, 
the, probably one of the best ones that I can think of. Kid puts a hand up on, on a hot oven. And you're not like right away like, well, maybe just a little burn would be good. <laughs> okay, your kid starts, you bring them home. And the first thing they do, you put them in this, this crib. And they start crying and crying and crying. And at some point, a lot of parents will let that kid cry themselves to sleep. Some people think it's awful to do. Some people think it's what you're supposed to do. If you think it's awful to do it, you probably have been sitting in your kid's room until they were seven to get them to fall asleep. That's what, that's what me and my, my wife did half the time. We tried to do the crime to sleep, but it just, we hated it. Okay, but you think about making your kid cry themselves to sleep. You are, your kid is crying, saying, I just want you, Mommy. I just want you, Daddy. And you're saying, no. You will cry yourself to sleep. And it's almost, it's like, it's almost evil, right? But your kid learns how to fall asleep. What about uh, later on in life, your kid starts to walk. And you follow your kid. I can remember following my kids around. Like, they're starting to walk, but their, their head's too big for their body still, and so they just fall all over the place. And so you're trying to follow them. Like, I'm going to keep them safe. And especially around the, the fireplace. Anybody else ever terrified of a fireplace? All the rocks? Yeah, it's terrifying. You put pillows around it, and you try to catch your kids from falling. But you can't catch your kid every single time, and so they fall, and they get bumps and bruises, and you deal with them. By the fourth kid, you're, like, walking along the edge of a cliff with that kid just, oh, yeah, you're good. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Never have. I take my kid to the mall, and I'm like, don't walk by the edge, kid, you know, where you can see a couple floors down. Hate it. But we try to, we can't keep our kids from everything. One of my kids is Sadie, man. She is, she's going to break bones. She already, less than a year ago, she broke her elbow trying to jump from my bed to some other piece of furniture. And I watch her on the playground. I'm like, don't do I can't even watch her. Because she climbs. She's a climber. It's awesome. But we have to let our kids sometimes experience risk and experience pain in order for them to be people. Is it possible that that is the way that God is with us too? Throughout all of human history, is it possible that God allows pain in hopes that it will lead us to the deliverer of all pain? In the story of the 10th plague, it looks like God is pure evil if you don't have the cross in view. If God doesn't have a plan to bring an end to death and suffering and all this stuff, yeah, it doesn't look good. But in context, God is trying to take, throughout the scope of all human history, he's trying to get as many humans to the point of salvation as he possibly can. It says in 2 Peter 3.9, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament thing, it's not two different gods. The God that we see in the New Testament is still the same God that oversaw all these firstborn children dying that night on the Passover. How can this be? It seems that we have a God who understands that there is something worse for people than just physical death. God letting that 10th plague happen it's not God being cruel. It's the best way that God has of warning people that the one thing that we need in life is the blood of Jesus over our lives. Everywhere throughout Scripture, that's what, that is all that God is trying to do is he's trying to show you and me there's one thing in this life that you need. It is the blood of Jesus. And it will cover over everything. 
but we fail to see it sometimes. Without the blood of Jesus, all of us would have been in much worse situations than those firstborn sons who died that night of the Passover. All of the hurt and the pain, everything that we experience, it gets turned upside down on the cross. The blood of Jesus turns it upside down. To me, this is the, this is the number one game changer for our faith. When we can start to understand this and look back to the cross in every single moment of every single day, that becomes the game changer that you and I need. There is nothing that you and I can do that even comes close to equaling what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, so all of Scripture, we, we see it points back to the cross. What else is there about the cross? The cross is where Jesus experienced what he didn't want you to experience. I just want to hang on that for a, a, one, more, one more second here. I want you to hear that again. The cross is where Jesus experienced everything that he doesn't want you to have to experience. Like, that's a big deal. It's the place where Jesus experienced his father forsaking him. It says in Matthew 27, 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, this right here is the, this is the moment that all of history is, is leading towards. This moment where Jesus decides that he wants for you and me so much not to experience being forsaken by God because of our sins that he will do it for us. That he will go to that length for us. There's a lot of things that I'd love to keep my kids from having to experience in life. I would love to keep my kids from the experience of seeing the Packers win another Super Bowl. I hate that team, guys. I'm sorry. I do. They probably, my kids probably won't care if the Packers win, but they're not going to like me for like a week or three. Okay? I don't want them to experience that. I don't want my kids to experience being bullied at school. I've dropped my kids off at school before when I know that they're struggling to go in there because of whatever. And I want to I take them in there. I want to hold them in my arms. And I want to Heisman Trophy all the kids who are jerks. Okay? I, I don't want my kid, my girls. I got four girls. I don't want my girls to have to experience having their heart broken by a boy one day. Because I will literally break that boy's heart. I would love to. I would love to keep my kids from having to experience that kind of stuff. I would go back to my childhood and live it all over again, mainly because I know that I went through a lot of that stuff, and I'm fine. But then again, I also realize my kids are going to be fine. They actually have to go through some stuff. There is only one thing in this world that I, my kids cannot go through the experience of and be okay, and that is experiencing eternity without the blood of Jesus over their lives. That's the only thing. The only thing that they can't do without. And there's nothing that I can do to keep them from there. I can guide them towards Jesus, but Jesus did all of that work for them. There's nothing I can do about it. Jesus was forsaken by his father so that I don't have to be, so that my four daughters don't have to be, so that you don't have to be. And to me, that is, that is the ultimate game changer right there. On the cross, Jesus experienced what he didn't want you to have to experience. He took on your sin so that you don't have to be tormented by guilt. If you're tormented by guilt, your eyes are off the cross. Because Jesus took on that guilt, he experienced it so you don't have to. 
Jesus became a sacrifice so that you don't have to sacrifice yourself in order to be accepted. All you got to do is submit to him. If, if you're constantly thinking, man, I got to do this for God to love me, you're not getting what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus was without defect so that you don't have to be perfect. I think so much about how uh, Jesus living his life every day up to the cross. He had to be perfect for us to be able to go to the cross and experience what he didn't want us to experience. If I had to try to be perfect for even two minutes, the pressure that that would be is like too much. But Jesus experienced what it is like to be without defect so that you and I don't have to be perfect. He took on the heavy weight of our sin so that you don't have to take on the weight of the world. If you feel like the, the weight of the world is on you, that everything's heavy on you, you haven't understood what Jesus did on the cross to take on the weight of the world for you. He gave up his rights. He gave up his worth in this life so that you could be found worthy in him. There's a book I've been reading lately. It's by a pastor named J.D. Greer, and it's called Gospel, Rediscovering the Power that Made Christianity Revolutionary. And I want to I just suggest this to you. If you read it all or if you listen to books, find books that are about the gospel, that are about the good news, that just keep on telling you over and over what it is that Jesus did for you. Sing worship songs that tell you again about what Jesus did for you. Because here's the thing, we forget it. And what happens is we start to put ourselves in the place of Savior. We have hero complexes. We think that it's on me to get myself right with God, but that's not the way it is. We need to change our perspective to see things through the perspective of the cross. That Jesus did these things for me, experienced things on the cross so that I don't have to experience it. And, and J.D. Greer, in this book, he, he talks about when Adam and Eve first sinned. And he, he says some really good stuff in terms of the perspective that, that changes in regard to our sin when we see what Jesus did for us on that cross. Genesis 3, verses 6 through 7 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Up until the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, some of the church fathers teach about this, and it's a really cool the way that they put it. They talk about how Adam and Eve had essentially a covering over them of love and acceptance from God. That was what they had. And so the moment that they sinned, that love and acceptance, it was pulled away. And so in that moment, they felt naked. They felt ashamed. And I think about, man, I think about what if we had never sinned before? We'd all probably be walking around naked still. I don't, half of you are like, ooh, image I didn't want to see. I'm sorry. But it might be the case. Adam and Eve were stripped of God's love and acceptance. And so they had this sense of exposure, this sense of fear, this sense of shame, guilt, Things that they have never felt before. And these were experiences that Jesus never wanted them to have to experience. So Adam and Eve, they did what, they, what anybody does in the, in the face of nakedness. They tried to cover up. How many of you ever had the dream where you went to school without your pants on? There's only like two of us? That is, okay, thank you. I, I, it's an awful dream. You don't want to have it. It's pretty bad. J.D. Greer, in his book, he talks about, what if you were a sleepwalker and you, you found yourself... You woke up, you walked yourself to Walmart. 
and when you woke up in Walmart, you were buck naked. What would you do? Would you be like, well, I'm here. I might as well do some shopping. No. No, you're going to find whatever you can to cover yourself up. If you're near the tarp aisle, you will get a tarp. If there's open boxes, you'll jump in. If there's clothes, like you are going to cover up and you don't want anybody to see you. And that's what Adam and Eve were doing. They, they got this covering of fig leaves to put around themselves, and they felt like they were more acceptable to God at that point. We have been on this same quest ever since. We try to cover up our shame. We try to cover up our nakedness with a feeling of worthiness. And we're doing everything we can to try to, to show ourselves as being worthy. I've, man, I got, I got a better job than, than this person. I, I make uh, uh, more money. I'm smart. I, I got into this school. Um, whatever it might be, we try to build up our worthiness. I'm more faithful in my religion than other people. Even people who aren't religious. An atheist might say, man, I'm, I'm a more fair-minded person than other people. I'm, I'm a good citizen. People in Hollywood, I, man, I'm, I'm socially active. I do all kinds of good stuff. Even Tony Soprano, I never watched The Sopranos, but everybody knows Tony Soprano is like the gangster of all gangsters. It says that he actually said in one of the shows, I may kill lots of people, but I'm a good son. Like we're trying to do whatever we can to justify ourselves. But what, what I want you to understand is on the cross, Jesus took on the experience of being unworthy and unwanted for our sake. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience it from people. That's, that's like, that's small stuff. Jesus is most concerned about the number one relationship for our lives, and that is being reconciled with God. And he became unworthy in the eyes of his father so that you and I could become worthy, that we could take on his worthiness. He became our substitute. While we're trying to justify ourselves in, in this world, Jesus is saying, you already are worthy. You have my worthiness. I gave it to you. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins on, on his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What does this all mean? What does it mean to me in my daily life that all of Scripture points to the cross? What does it mean in my daily life that Jesus on the cross experienced everything that he doesn't want me to experience? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. If we continue to see ourselves with shame and with guilt and trying to get over our inadequacies, it's not going to help us in that, in that regard if we just keep seeing ourselves that way. If you don't remind yourselves constantly of all that Jesus did for you on the cross, you are going to continue to struggle in a life that is difficult, in a life that's defeated. You'll find yourself struggling with guilt because you failed to see that your sin was actually put on Jesus when he was on the cross. You're going to continue to feel your need to be perfect, to become like this religious sacrifice in the world because you fail to see that you are acceptable to God, that Jesus died on a cross showing you that you're acceptable to God. You'll continue to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders because you will fail to see that Jesus took the weight of your sin upon himself. And I think that there's a chance that there's a lot of us in here today that you might be thinking, you know what, I know about the cross. 
I know about salvation. I know Jesus died for my sins. Kellen, I want you to tell me something that will actually help me today with all the stresses in my life that I feel. And what I'm telling you is, there is nothing more fundamental that will help you with the stresses in your life than seeing the cross for what it is. That is the place where our stress and our hurt and our pain goes to die. Are you feeling inadequate today? Look to how Jesus thought you were important enough to die on a cross for you even while you were still sinning. Are you feeling the stress of life piling up around you? Look to how Jesus took on the stress of sin and death for your sake. Not just that he was willing to physically die, but take on the stress of being forsaken by his father. Are you angry today? Look at how Jesus took on the wrath of the father for your sake. Now that is a game changer. The game changers in, in my life is not the things so much that I can do, but it's when I look to the cross and I see what Jesus did for me. It becomes a game changer like nothing else becomes. And I'm able to, to see the world the way that God sees it. He's taken those experiences on himself so that I wouldn't have to take them. Worship team, why don't you guys come up here? What we're going to do this morning, um, like Eric was saying before, we're going to take communion together. Because this whole sermon, it just lines up with remembering the cross. That's what communion is. I want you this morning to think about the game-changing experience for your life that remembering the cross actually would be. Let the cross of Jesus bring life to you where maybe you don't feel life right now. Think about everything that Jesus is willing to experience on your behalf. But then I want you to think about how am I experiencing those things still today in ways that God doesn't want me to? How has God experienced something on the cross that I'm supposed to give to him that he doesn't want me to have to feel anymore? 